Chapter Eight, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in August two thousand nineteen. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell, Chapter Eight, Part One. On former changes in physical geography and climate. Geographical features of the northern hemisphere at the period of the oldest fossiliferous strata. State of the surface when the mountain limestone and coal were deposited. Changes in physical geography between the Carboniferous period and the chalk. Abrupt transition from the secondary to the tertiary fossils. Accession of land and elevation of mountain chains after the consolidation of the secondary rocks. Explanation of map showing the area covered by sea since the commencement of the tertiary period. Astronomical theories of the causes of variations in climate. Theory of the diminution of the supposed primitive heat of the globe. In the sixth chapter, I stated the arguments derived from organic remains for concluding that in the period when the Carboniferous strata were deposited, the temperature of the ocean and the air was more uniform in the different seasons of the year and in different latitudes than at present, and that there was a remarkable absence of cold as well as great moisture in the atmosphere. It was also shown that the climate had been modified more than once since that epoch and that it had been reduced, by successive changes, more and more nearly to that now prevailing in the same latitudes. Farther, I endeavoured, in the last chapter, to prove that vicissitudes in climate of no less importance may be expected to recur in future, if it be admitted that causes now active in nature have power, in the lapse of ages, to produce considerable variations in the relative position of land and sea. It remains to inquire whether the alterations, which the geologist can prove to have actually taken place at former periods in the geographical features of the northern hemisphere, coincide in their nature and in the time of their occurrence with such revolutions in climate as might naturally have resulted, according to the meteorological principles already explained. Period of the Primary Fossiliferous Rocks the oldest system of strata which afford by their organic remains any evidence as to climate or the former position of land and sea are those formerly known as the transition rocks or what have since been termed lower silurian or primary fossiliferous formations these have been found in england france germany sweden russia and other parts of central and northern europe as also in the Great Lake District of Canada and the United States. The multilocular or chambered univalves, including the nautilus and the corals, obtained from the limestones of these ancient groups, have been compared to forms now most largely developed in tropical seas. The corals, however, have been shown by Mr. Milne Edwards to differ generally from all living zoophytes, so that conclusions as to a warmer climate drawn from such remote analogies must be received with caution. Hitherto, few, if any, contemporaneous vegetable remains have been noticed, 
but such as are mentioned agree more nearly with the plants of the carboniferous era than any other and would therefore imply a warm and humid atmosphere entirely free from intense cold throughout the year this absence or great scarcity of plants as well as of freshwater shells and other indications of neighboring land coupled with the wide extent of marine strata of this age in europe and north america are facts which imply such a state of physical geography so far at least as regards the northern hemisphere as would according to the principles before explained give rise to such a moist and equable climate carboniferous group this group comes next in the order of succession and one of its principal members the mountain limestone was evidently a marine formation as is shown by the shells and corals which it contains that the ocean of that period was of considerable extent in our latitudes we may infer from the continuity of these calcareous strata over large areas in europe canada and the united states the same group has also been traced in north america towards the borders of the arctic sea there are also several regions in scotland and in the central and northern parts of england as well as in the united states where marine carboniferous limestones alternate with strata containing coal in such a manner as to imply the drifting down of plants by rivers into the sea and the alternate occupation of the same space by fresh and salt water since the time of the earlier writers no strata have been more extensively investigated both in europe and north america than those of the ancient carboniferous group and the progress of science has led to a general belief that a large portion of the purest coal has been formed not as was once imagined by vegetable matter floated from a distance but by plants which grew on the spot and somewhat in the manner of peat on the spaces now covered by the beds of coal the former existence of land in some of these spaces has been proved as already stated by the occurrence of numerous upright fossil trees with their roots terminating downwards in seams of coal and still more generally by the roots of trees stigmariae remaining in their natural position in the clays which underlie almost every layer of coal as some nearly continuous beds of such coal have of late years been traced in north america over areas one hundred or two hundred miles and upwards in diameter it may be asked whether the large tracts of ancient land implied by this fact are not inconsistent with the hypothesis of the general prevalence of islands at the period under consideration in reply i may observe that the coal fields must originally have been low alluvial grounds resembling in situation the cypress swamps of the mississippi or the sunderbunds of the ganges being liable like them to be inundated at certain periods by a river or by the sea if the land should be depressed a few feet all the phenomena organic and inorganic imply conditions nowhere to be met with except in the deltas of large rivers we have to account for an abundant supply of fluviatile sediment carried for ages towards one and the same region and capable of forming strata of mud and sand thousands of feet or even fathoms in thickness many of them consisting of laminated shale enclosing the leaves of ferns and other terrestrial plants 
we have also to explain the frequent intercalations of root beds and the interposition here and there of brackish and marine deposits demonstrating the occasional presence of the neighboring sea but these forest-covered deltas could only have been formed at the termination of large hydrographical basins each drained by a great river and its tributaries and the accumulation of sediment bears testimony to contemporaneous denudation on a large scale and therefore to a wide area of land probably containing within it one or more mountain chains in the case of the great ohio or appalachian coal field the largest in the world it seems clear that the uplands drained by one or more great rivers were chiefly to the eastward or they occupied a space now filled by part of the atlantic ocean for the mechanical deposits of mud and sand increase greatly in thickness and coarseness of material as we approach the eastern borders of the coal field or the southeast flanks of the allegheny mountains near philadelphia in that region numerous beds of pebbles often of the size of a hen's egg are seen to alternate with beds of pure coal but the american coal fields are all comprised within the thirtieth and fiftieth degrees of north latitude and there is no reason to presume that the lands at the borders of which they originated ever penetrated so far or in such masses into the colder and arctic regions so as to generate a cold climate in the southern hemisphere where the predominance of sea over land is now the distinguishing geographical feature we nevertheless find a large part of the continent of australia as well as new zealand placed between the thirtieth and fiftieth degrees of southern latitude the two islands of new zealand taken together are between eight hundred and nine hundred miles in length with a breadth in some parts of ninety miles and they stretch as far south as the forty-sixth degree of latitude they afford therefore a wide area for the growth of a terrestrial vegetation and the botany of this region is characterized by abundance of ferns one hundred and forty species of which are already known some of them attaining the size of trees in this respect the southern shores of new zealand in the forty-sixth degree of latitude almost vie with tropical islands another point of resemblance between the flora of new zealand and that of the ancient carboniferous period is the prevalence of the fir tribe or of coniferous wood an argument of some weight in corroboration of the theory above explained respecting the geographical condition of the temperate and arctic latitudes of the northern hemisphere in the carboniferous period may also be derived from an examination of those groups of strata which immediately preceded the coal the fossils of the devonian and silurian strata in europe and north america have led to the conclusion that they were formed for the most part in deep seas far from land in those older strata land plants are almost as rare as they are abundant or universal in the coal measures those ancient deposits therefore may be supposed to have belonged to an epoch when dry land had only just begun to be upraised from the deep a theory which would imply the existence during the carboniferous epoch of islands instead of an extensive continent in the area where the coal was formed such a state of things prevailing in the north from the pole to the thirtieth parallel of latitude 
if not neutralized by circumstances of a contrary tendency in corresponding regions south of the line would give rise to a general warmth and uniformity of climate throughout the globe changes in physical geography between the formation of the carboniferous strata and the chalk we have evidence in england that the strata of the ancient carboniferous group already adverted to were in many instances fractured and contorted and often thrown into a vertical position before the deposition of some even of the oldest known secondary rocks such as the new red sandstone fragments of the older formations are sometimes included in the conglomerates of the more modern and some of these fragments still retain their fossil shells and corals so as to enable us to determine the parent rocks from whence they were derived there are other proofs of the disturbance at successive epochs of different secondary rocks before the deposition of others and satisfactory evidence that during these reiterated convulsions the geographical features of the northern hemisphere were frequently modified and that from time to time new lands emerged from the deep the vegetation during some parts of the period in question from the lias to the chalk inclusive when genera allied to cycas and zamia were abundant appears to have approached to that of the larger islands of the equatorial zone such for example as we now find in the west indian archipelago these islands appear to have been drained by rivers of considerable size which were inhabited by crocodiles and gigantic oviparous reptiles both herbivorous and carnivorous belonging for the most part to extinct genera of the contemporary inhabitants of the land we have as yet acquired but scanty information but we know that there were flying reptiles insects and small mammifers allied to the marsupial tribes a freshwater deposit called the wealden occurs in the upper part of the secondary series of the south of england which by its extent and fossils attests the existence in that region of a large river draining a continent or island of considerable dimensions we know that this land was clothed with wood and inhabited by huge terrestrial reptiles and birds its position so far to the north as the counties of surrey and sussex at a time when the mean temperature of the climate is supposed to have been much hotter than at present may at first sight appear inconsistent with the theory before explained that the heat was caused by the gathering together of all the great masses of land in low latitudes while the northern regions were almost entirely sea but it must not be taken for granted that the geographical conditions already described as capable of producing the extreme of heat were ever combined at any geological period of which we have yet obtained information it is more probable from what has been stated in the preceding chapters that a slight approximation to such an extreme state of things would be sufficient in other words if most of the dry land were tropical and scarcely any of it arctic or antarctic a prodigious elevation of temperature must ensue even though a part of some continents should penetrate far into the temperate zones changes during the tertiary periods the secondary and tertiary formations of europe when considered separately may be contrasted as having very different characters 
the secondary appearing to have been deposited in open seas, the tertiary in regions where dry land, lakes, bays, and perhaps inland seas abounded. The secondary series is almost exclusively marine. The tertiary, even the oldest part, contains lacustrine strata, and not unfrequently freshwater and marine beds alternating. In fact, there is evidence of important geographical changes having occurred between the deposition of the Cretaceous system, or uppermost of the secondary series, and that of the oldest tertiary group, and still more between the era of the latter and that of the newer tertiary formations. This change in the physical geography of Europe and North America was accompanied by an alteration no less remarkable in organic life, scarcely any species being common both to the secondary and tertiary rocks, and the fossils of the latter affording evidence of a different climate. On the other hand, when we compare the tertiary formations of successive ages, we trace a gradual approximation in the embedded fossils, from an assemblage in which extinct species predominate, to one where the species agree for the most part with those now existing. In other words, we find a gradual increase of animals and plants fitted for our present climates, in proportion as the strata which we examine are more modern. Now, during all these successive tertiary periods, there are signs of a great increase of land in European and North American latitudes. By reference to the map and its description, page 121, the reader will see that about two-thirds of the present European lands have emerged since the earliest tertiary group originated. Nor is this the only revolution which the same region has undergone within the period alluded to. Some tracts which were previously land have gained in altitude, others, on the contrary, having sunk below their former level. That the existing lands were not all upheaved at once into their present position is proved by the most striking evidence. Several Italian geologists, even before the time of Brocchi, had justly inferred that the Apennines were elevated several thousand feet above the level of the Mediterranean before the deposition of the modern sub-Apennine beds which flank them on either side. What now constitutes the central calcareous chain of the Apennines must for a long time have been a narrow, ridgy peninsula, branching off, at its northern extremity, from the Alps near Savona. This peninsula has since been raised from one to two thousand feet, by which movement the ancient shores, and, for a certain extent, the bed of the contiguous sea, have been laid dry, both on the side of the Mediterranean and the Adriatic. The nature of these vicissitudes will be explained by the accompanying diagram, which represents a transverse section across the Italian peninsula. The inclined strata capital A are the disturbed formations of the Apennines, into which the ancient igneous rocks A are supposed to have intruded themselves. At a lower level on each flank of the chain are the more recent shelly beds B, which often contain rounded pebbles derived from the waste of contiguous parts of the older Apennine limestone. These, it will be seen, are horizontal, and lie in what is termed uncomfortable stratification on the more ancient series. 
they now constitute a line of hills of moderate elevation between the sea and the apennines but never penetrate to the higher and more ancient valleys of that chain the same phenomena are exhibited in the alps on a much grander scale those mountains being composed in some even of their higher regions of the newer secondary and oldest tertiary formations while they are encircled by a great zone of more modern tertiary rocks both on their southern flanks towards the plains of the po and on the side of switzerland and austria and at their eastern termination towards styria and hungary this newer tertiary zone marks the position of former seas or gulfs like the adriatic wherein masses of strata accumulated some single groups of which are not inferior in thickness to the most voluminous of our secondary formations in england some even of these newer groups have been raised to the height of three or four thousand feet and in proportion to their antiquity they generally rise to greater heights the older of them forming interior zones nearest to the central ridges of the alps we have already ascertained that the alps gained accessions to their height and width at several successive periods and that the last series of improvements occurred when the seas were inhabited by many existing species of animals we may imagine some future series of convulsions once more to heave up this stupendous chain together with the adjoining bed of the sea so that the mountains of europe may rival the andes in elevation in which case the deltas of the po adice and brenta now encroaching upon the adriatic might be uplifted so as to form another exterior belt of considerable height around the southeastern flank of the alps the pyrenees also have acquired their present altitude which in mont perdu exceeds eleven thousand feet since the deposition of the namaltic or eocene division of the tertiary series some of the tertiary strata at the base of the chain are raised to the height of only a few hundred feet above the sea and retain a horizontal position without partaking in general in the disturbance to which the older series has been subjected so that the great barrier between france and spain was almost entirely upheaved in the interval between the deposition of certain groups of tertiary strata the remarkable break between the most modern of the known secondary rocks and the oldest tertiary may be apparent only and ascribable to the present deficiency of our information already the mulls and green sand of hares near tongres in belgium observed by m dumont and the pisolytic limestone of the neighbourhood of paris both intermediate in age between the maastricht chalk and the lower eocene strata begin to afford us signs of a passage from one state of things to another nevertheless it is far from impossible that the interval between the chalk and tertiary formations constituted an era in the earth's history when the transition from one class of organic beings to another was comparatively speaking rapid for if the doctrines above explained in regard to vicissitudes of temperature are sound it will follow that changes of equal magnitude in the geographical features of the globe may at different periods produce very unequal effects on climate and so far as the existence of certain animals and plants depends on climate the duration of species would be shortened or protracted 
according to the rate at which the change of temperature proceeded. For even if we assume that the intensity of the subterranean disturbing forces is uniform and capable of producing nearly equal amounts of alteration on the surface of the planet during equal periods of time, still the rate of alteration in climate would be by no means uniform. Let us imagine the quantity of land between the equator and the tropic in one hemisphere to be to that in the other as 13 to 1, which, as before stated, represents the unequal proportion of the extratropical lands in the two hemispheres at present. Then, let the first geographical change consist in the shifting of this preponderance of land from one side of the line to the other, from the southern hemisphere, for example, to the northern. Now this need not affect the general temperature of the earth. But if, at another epoch, we suppose a continuance of the same agency to transfer an equal volume of land from the torrid zone to the temperate and arctic regions of the northern and southern hemispheres, or into one of them, there might be so great a refrigeration of the mean temperature in all latitudes that scarcely any of the pre-existing races of animals would survive, and, unless it pleased the author of nature that the planet should be uninhabited, new species, and probably of widely different forms, would then be substituted in the room of the extinct. We ought not, therefore, to infer that equal periods of time are always attended by an equal amount of change in organic life, since a great fluctuation in the mean temperature of the earth, the most influential cause which can be conceived in exterminating whole races of animals and plants, must, in different epochs, require unequal proportions of time for its completion. This map will enable the reader to perceive at a glance the great extent of change in the physical geography of Europe, which can be proved to have taken place since some of the older tertiary strata began to be deposited. The proofs of submergence, during some part or other of this period, in all the districts distinguished by ruled lines, are of a most unequivocal character, for the area thus described is now covered by deposits containing the fossil remains of animals which could only have lived in salt water. The most ancient part of the period referred to cannot be deemed very remote, considered geologically, because the deposits of the Paris and London basins, and many other districts belonging to the older tertiary epoch, are newer than the greater part of the sedimentary rocks, those commonly called secondary and primary fossiliferous or paleozoic, of which the crust of the globe is composed. The species, moreover, of marine testacea, of which the remains are found in these older tertiary formations, are not entirely distinct from such as now live. Yet, notwithstanding the comparatively recent epoch to which this retrospect is carried, the variations in the distribution of land and sea depicted on the map form only a part of those which must have taken place during the period under consideration. Some approximation has merely been made to an estimate of the amount of sea converted into land in parts of Europe best known to geologists, but we cannot determine how much land has become sea during the same period, and there may have been repeated interchanges of land and water in the same places, changes of which no account is taken in the map, 
and respecting the amount of which little accurate information can ever be obtained. I have extended the sea in some instances beyond the limits of the land now covered by tertiary formations and marine drift, because other geological data have been obtained for inferring the submergence of these tracts after the deposition of the Eocene strata had begun. Thus, for example, there are good reasons for concluding that part of the chalk of England, the North and South Downs, for example, together with the intervening secondary tracts, continued beneath the sea until the oldest tertiary beds had begun to accumulate. End of chapter 8, part 1